Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com. Sumati is spelled S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks Are Flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information on how to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today I'm so excited to have as my guest Amy Polatnik. Amy is a dating and sexuality coach, a NIA instructor, a process work therapist, and a professional potter. Uh, Amy is passionate about helping people lead more joyful and meaningful lives uh, through through teaching creativity-based workshops on sexuality, body image, personal mythology, dreams, the inner critic, chronic body symptoms, and self-love. And she also hosts fun online dating events and even dabbles in matchmaking. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you, Sumati. I'm happy to be here. So glad to have you. I saw that you were um, that you had finished writing this book, and it just sounded so cool. So mm-hmm. tell us, tell us about your book, and then how you arrived at wanting to write such a revealing memoir about your sex life and your dating life. So um, mm-hmm. let's start by just talking about your book and kind of what led you to writing it. Mm-hmm. So my book is called "Can I Be Honest with You," uh, and that is just a huge spectrum of my life, you know, ever since I was a child, I feel like I've been struggling with honesty, just being a transparent being, you know, just sharing my true nature, my true self. So that's, that's a really big uh, umbrella, the, the honesty piece. And then when I started dating, I was in my mid-40s, and my first date, I was confronted by this by my, how difficult it was for me to just be honest on a date. And I realized that, you know, dates are a perfect place for me to practice this deep desire I had to become really transparent and really honest and free myself of what was really a, kind of a people-pleasing conditioning that I had. And that was my, where I, was, where I struggled with honesty was in being a people-pleaser. You know, that I wouldn't always ask for what I wanted. I didn't even know what I wanted in my life because I was so invested in other people around me liking me that I would do almost anything for people just to like me. (laughs) Right. Well, let me just Mm -hmm. ask you, you said you first started dating in your 40s. Does that mean that you were married before that? No, I've never been married and I never wanted to be married. Um, I, I was a child of divorce and didn't believe in marriage. And so I became a serial monogamous. When I got out of college or when I was in college, I pretty much realized that I wasn't ever going to get married. And somebody told me, a mentor of mine, reflected that she thought that maybe I was a serial monogamous. And I had never heard that term before. And I was so relieved that I didn't have to try to find somebody to get married to. And instead, Mm -hmm. I kind of started a a lifestyle where I would have three-year-long chapters 
of relationships. They were just these little love chapters, I called them. And uh, and I, I never planned to stay with the person. I kind of knew my pattern. I could see it from early on is that I'd fall in love, I'd plateau, and then I'd figure out how to move on. Mm-hmm. And And then that worked for me pretty well until I was about – 35, I got into this long-term relationship with a woman who's a really good friend of mine. Uh, and we had three kids between us, three daughters. And being, there was, it was different being a family, you know, and I was, I was the financially responsible one in the family. I was, I was supporting our family. And so it was, that lasted 10 years. It was a really long monogamous relationship. And and I realized mm-hmm. that um, I didn't, I didn't want to be monogamous like that. I never wanted to be monogamous in the first place. And, you know, I kind of settled on serial monogamy as a way to continue to reinvent myself or rediscover myself with new lovers. And that was always really important to me to find somebody to uh, unfold a new part of myself with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you say that you your first date was in your 40s, does that mean yeah. that when you were serially monogamous earlier, you didn't consider it dating when you first met the person? Yeah, usually I'd meet somebody through my group of friends or through work or through, through life. I, w- I was never dating. Maybe I went on like two or three dates in my whole life, but this was a dating mm. phase. And when I, en- when I ended I that long monogamous relationship, it was like, I am dating. Like I am not getting okay. into a relationship. I'm not. I'm not looking for a relationship. I want to play the field. Oh. I want to have lots of experiences. I want to be free. I'm in my 40s. Pretty soon, I'm going to be like I might be old, you know, or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really like. I was like, I still got it. I better use it. And so I, uh, I was definitely like entering a phase of dating. I was really excited about it. I was excited about being single. Like I love being single. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a commitment. Like some some people would call that being poly solo nowadays. <laughs> like you, mm-hmm. you're calling it dating, mm-hmm. but it can also be called poly mm-hmm. solo. Like you're you're dating multiple sure. people, and you're not gonna be exclusive, and everybody knows that you're transparent about it. So you got to practice honesty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was kind of, I guess you could call it solo poly for a while, but I wasn't landing relationships. Like, it was taking me a long time to even find, like, a regular lover. It took me forever to find regular people. So I I felt like I couldn't call it anything but dating. It didn't feel poly because I wasn't, I didn't have a bunch of lovers, you know. I was really just, like, going out on one date, kind of disappointed, and then moving on, you know, or I'd meet somebody (laughs) from out of the country. That was amazing, but they're gone now, so... I wasn't really, I did. I wanted to be Polly, but I didn't think I could call myself Polly at the time. I understand. I felt like I needed to have, and, yeah. Yeah, and then at what point did you decide, like, there's a book in here? <laughs> <laughs> After my first date, pretty much. I um, so, so I suffered on this first date, you know. I was just like, I had the, the weirdest time. My body was freaking out, you know. I was so uncomfortable and I just was being really accommodating and it was like all of the parts of me that I didn't like were all there on that date and so when I I like ran out of there and I ran home and I went and I journaled because that's kind of the way that I process is through writing and as I wrote I just all these parts of me came clear and I thought 
and I, you know, I'm a therapist and I was in the middle of my master's program studying process work at the time. And I thought, this is really valuable. Like I'm discovering a lot about myself. And so what I did was I, I saved, I, I would, then I would journal. I decided right away this was going to be a blog. So I would journal after every date. And then after a while I felt, um, I felt spacious enough to start a blog. And mm-hmm. so I went back to my first date, but it was kind of a, it wasn't in, in time. Like I didn't blog right away after my first date. I waited a year or so to start the blog, but I did start the blog with my first date. And so I was kind of revealing the process through the blog. And then I had lots of great interactions with my blog readers, mostly through Facebook. And then some people were like, this is a book, Amy. This is a great book. The world needs this book. So that was really edgy for me because my secret dream had always been to be a writer. And so, mm. so that was a huge deal for me to be like, a book. Oh, my, how could it be a book? Like, <laughs> books have to have a story and they have to have an arc and they have to be interesting, and clever, and, <laughs> and have a lesson. And so, so it was a great challenge for me. It's been about two years that I've been working on making it into a book now. Nice. And so that's why you say that the book is really about personal growth and sexual healing because you used each date to do your own growth work, correct? Yes. I had goals. You know, it wasn't always easy. It was, you know, I I was failing my way to success basically through my dates. You know, Mm -hmm. every once in a while I'd have little successes, uh, but a lot of it was like, oh, God. I need some tools. And so I was coming up with some pretty good tools that made dating easier. Um, And yeah, and I was very, very interested in in sexuality, in my sexuality, uh, because I had always like had a strong urge. I always wanted to be seen like when I was when I was little, (laughs) when I was like seven, I decided I wanted to be good in bed when I got older. You know, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be good in bed. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even know what that meant. But it was like sex had this like mysterious power. And I kind of knew that it was, I don't know, it was something that I wanted. But that kind of um, misplaced desire, I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it was like a premature desire, you know, it was almost like I just like mm-hmm. overlaid it on myself, like trying on an outfit or something, you know, wanting to be seen as a sexual being, you know, I, I wanted everybody, all the boys in high school to want to be with me, you know, I just wanted everybody to want to be with me, I wanted to have people gossiping about how good I was in bed, and I just had this oh. like weird obsession with sexuality without actually feeling sexual in my body and then as I got older Mm -hmm. this became a huge disjoint of like wow this is all a show I want people to think I'm sexual but I don't even feel sexual you know like I don't Mm. even know what that means yeah yeah it's really Mm. interesting and so Mm -hmm. how long I don't know how old you are so how long ago was this that you first started this dating process I'm 51 now, and it started in uh, 2015, so I guess that's six years ago. About six years ago, okay. So when I met you a couple, I met you about three years ago, I think, because we lost a year here with Uh the pandemic. (laughs) Uh I think uh it was about three years ago. So were you still in the dating process then? Oh, yeah. I was at the height at that time, yeah. 
Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dated for I about five you, years. Because I remember you were in mm-hmm. a, um, you were dating a man that, that was supposedly in an open marriage, but there was a little bit of conflict. <laughs> oh, remember. yeah. Oh, you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> It's gotten so much better. Oh, my God. It's so much oh, better. Good, but, good. yeah, it was challenging. That was a huge challenge. It's a big part of the book, actually. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, and we're still... About that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that relationship continues, and it's really very, very satisfying and beautiful. Oh, great. And so now yeah. you consider yourself, what labels do you use? Do you use polyamorous, or what, what labels do you use for yourself now? You know, I've always been kind of averse to labels. Uh, right mm-hmm. now, I just tell people I have a partner and I have a lover, and that's my situation. Ooh, okay. And, you know, I'm not I'm not seeking anything, but I do keep, like, my dating apps on my phone, and I like to, you know, swipe around. And I have I swipe for my partner, you know, just in case we can find somebody for him. I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's, like, a little bit, like, light and fun, but – Whenever anything starts getting serious, we, we don't seem like we're really that interested. Maybe it's COVID, you know, and things will get different yeah. after the pandemic. But, but I, it's been really kind of nice to just kind of cuddle up and be domestic and have my two special people. And I feel really satisfied with, with the two relationships I have. Great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, what, what else, what are some of the other experiences that you had that, um, you had real awakenings about your, you know, your emotional self or your sexual self from your dating. Mm-hmm. Can you share a couple of experiences mm-hmm. with us? Uh, it was like a little mm-hmm. teaser for your book. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, um, let's see. I had one, I had a lover from Australia and he was very sex positive and he's a relationship anarchist. So I learned a mm-hmm. lot about sexuality from him. Uh, he calls himself a non-monot. <laughs> he made up this, <laughs> this word called non-monot, like kind of an astronaut in mono- non-monogamy, just kind of floating around in that world. And uh, so it. he was, yeah, I just, I learned a lot about it and openness and compersion with him uh, because mm-hmm. we were lovers here. And I really wanted to experience compersion. I felt like I was kind of a naturally jealous person and, I really wanted to experience compersion, and he visited, and then we met on OkCupid. It was a super magical, you know, he flew to Eugene to be with me for four days and, you know, basically sight unseen. We had a short video chat, but we kind of fell in love through the app, and uh, it was funny because most of my, I mean, often I would get these crushes on people through chatting on dating apps, but this time with this person, I think I call him Oliver in the book. Uh, we we had this incredible vibration from the very beginning. And uh, it was interesting how it was different, how I could actually feel that the connection differently when it was mm. a true connection. And so mm-hmm. so we had a really special, sweet time just like making love, ton, making tons of love and all, doing all kinds of fresh special things and filming ourselves. That was something that was really special to me. I like really wanted to film myself with people and make, I really like the idea of artistic, exotic, I mean, not exotic, erotica, artistic erotica, mm-hmm. 
you know, kind mm-hmm. of somehow coming up and replacing pornography, if, that, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we just have mm-hmm. beautiful images of lovemaking? You know, like in the United States, we have such incredibly violent, uh, you know, kind of ta- most porn is like taboo porn, you know, instead of just right. beautiful lovemaking. And so mm-hmm. me and Oliver, quote unquote, Oliver, uh, did some filming of ourselves and that was special for me. And, um, and then I had some crazy sexual experiences, but, but the best was when I got to summer camp and, uh, and started a sexual healing path, you know, and I started, mm. I, I was clear with what I was talking about before that I was disconnected from my sexuality and that I really wanted to drop into my sexual self. And all I wanted was to walk around and feel like a sexual being. I wanted to feel my own sexuality. I didn't want other people to perceive me as sexual anymore. I wanted to feel it from the inside. You know, I want to feel juicy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel that aliveness. Mm-hmm. And that, I started that at summer camp. I found somebody who became a mentor of mine, and he worked with me for a year on my sexuality. And it was just such a gift. And... Um, and then, of course, I maybe did, want to do what, that with other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Why did you feel like you needed somebody to help you get in touch with your sexuality and your body? Why wasn't it just naturally there? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think it was psychological. <laughs> like I said, I had I had always wanted people to see me as sexual. I, like, wanted to be putting out this kind of sexual persona I wanted to, like, you know, when I was having sex, I was, like, trying to, like, I don't know, look sexy or act sexy or have the person, you know, think I was sexy. And I was just so outside my own experience, you know. Mm. Not completely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm saying this. I'm kind of judging my my past self. And and when I think back to actual experiences with partners, it wasn't always like that. You know, I definitely had some beautiful experiences. But it was more like on a... I don't know. There was just something deeper that I just felt like I wasn't connected to in myself. And I, you know, what wound up happening at summer. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, it sounds related to the people pleasing thing where you're more concerned about how others are perceiving you. And that showed up Mm -hmm. in your sexuality too. So you wanted to learn how to find it within yourself, regardless of what others thought of you. Something like that. Yeah, and for myself, you know, not for others, but for me, you know, just to kind of settle in. And I knew that there was magic, you know, that sex and magic and, like, um, it has a power, you know, it has the power to create life. It's a pretty powerful mm-hmm. thing, sexuality. And I wanted to feel it, and I didn't want it to have me. I wanted to kind of own it and feel it and right, and, and right. access other states of consciousness through it. I, I knew that there was this connection between spirituality and sexuality that I could achieve, and I just wanted that. And I just felt like with, you know, being in a monogamous relationship that wasn't super fulfilling on a sexual level for me and, you know, kind of going, you know, I, I just felt like I was losing time. I wanted to do it before it was too late. Right, right, right. Cool. Mm-hmm. And so you were going to say yeah. something else about summer camp? Yeah. So what happened at summer camp, uh, I'll tell you, like, I think that the biggest radical shift for me was the yoni massage. I mm. had never heard of that before, a yoni massage. And then all of a sudden there were people there who were basically trained 
because they had been in the summer camp community for a while to touch women in a really healing, gentle, loving way. And I had never been touched like that before. And, um, you know, when, when my lover first like cupped my Yoni with his hand, I like burst into tears. I'm crying now because of it, because it was so emotional to have, to have Mm -hmm. my, my Yoni just, just cupped, just touched, nothing doing, nothing being done to it. Nobody trying Mm -hmm. to make me feel anything, you know, but just presence. It was so powerful for me. It's like really out of this world. It just was such a big shift. And, um, and I felt myself kind of able to open up uh, and relax and, and uh, yeah, just kind of rest into my sexuality instead of, you know, quick perform, hope they liked it. <laughs> That's such a funny yes. thing. How was it? How was it for you? Like as though that you weren't there with the person, you know? <laughs> How was it for you? Like, you know, we're so disconnected that we have to ask the other person how it was. Like, shouldn't we know that? Yeah. <laughs> shouldn't we know how it was for them? Weren't we there? <laughs> yeah. And I've had people ask me if I came even after I like screamed my head off and like blew the roof off. And then they're like, Did you come? I'm like, what do you think that just was? <laughs> funny so, yeah so, yeah mm-hmm. so yeah I, I know exactly how you feel where I've been touched so many times by mostly I have sex with men um, by men who are thinking that they have to do something to me and so then they end up touching me in a way that I, I don't feel ready for like it's too action oriented it's too much too yeah. hard too much coming coming after me instead of yeah. like attuning to my energy and where my body's at. And so that's something yeah. that men can learn. But I'm also wondering, like, what did you learn? Because you said when you were younger, you you had this desire that you wanted to be good in bed. So what did you mm-hmm. learn as as a lover? How to, Did you ever learn to be good in bed? And, and what does that mean to you now? <laughs> well, what it means is connecting to me, you know, slowing down, breathing, being present. You know, the big challenge for me is just intimacy, you know, just, Mm-hmm. Just lingering at that place where I want to disappear, lingering at that place where I just, something is too much or I feel too vulnerable. Um, and it's mostly about slowing down. And also, for me, the, the biggest one is to ask to stop or slow down or change what we're doing. Because my worst, where I vacate is when the, when I'm in pain, you know, or something doesn't feel right. I, I have often pretended, you know, or, you know, let, like, let my cries of pain sound like pleasure. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm making sounds and I have to ask myself, is what am I actually feeling now? Is that pleasure or am I just wanting the other person to think I'm feeling pleasure? So it's been a big, I actually can't remember what your question was. Oh, did I get to be good in bed? I think that the more I learned to communicate in sex, the more I learned to communicate. Summer camp gave me so many tools, just little little games you can play with a person, like telling them what you like and what you don't like. You know, it's just mm-hmm. so the summer mm-hmm. camp games around sex are so simple and so beautiful. They're so simple and so beautiful. People, I feel like we just don't have the language. We don't learn about sex nobody te- nobody taught me 
you know, like maybe I learned a little bit on the, the Playboy channel, but, you know, it didn't really serve me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if anything, we just learned to be afraid of it, you know, that we can get diseases or get pregnant. And, you know, I just feel like pleasure-based sex education is sorely lacking. And, um, yeah, so the more I can connect with that, with talking, with asking for what I want, that's what I consider good in bed now honesty mm-hmm. yes yeah. thank you and then can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about your journey of how this dating helped you overcome people pleasing <laughs> well I went on I think I went I, I wish I had counted but I probably went on like almost 200 dates in those five years and that was a lot of opportunities to work on this I had a goal you know I knew that what I wanted to do was go on a date and be honest with the person. Sometimes I would get mm-hmm. hypnotized into a place of not being able to for some reason. But usually mm-hmm. by the end, I was able to say something that was honest. The best is if I could say it at the beginning. And uh, the reason that the book is called Can I Be Honest With You is that's the line that I learned to use. You know, it was like I, I call mm-hmm. it my back pocket my back pocket line that if I'm struggling and I find myself dissociating or freaking out or, you know, in some way not being present and honest, I, I want to insert that line. I want to say to the person in that moment, as soon as I realize it, can I be honest with you? And just mm. trust after that, 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 that paves the, the ground and creates a, a fertile garden for, for myself, for true communication, to, for, to get myself out of that hole of people pleasing. So that's why mm-hmm. I, I wound up naming the book, Can I Be Honest With You? Because I wanted to give people that gift of that line. Anybody else who suffers with people pleasing, that's a line that you can always use to get yourself out of the hypnosis that you, we get stuck in. Can I be honest beautiful. with you? It's I so beautiful. Yeah. It's so uh-huh. beautiful. I love everybody that. everybody wants to say yes to that, you know? Nobody wants you to yeah, be lying to them. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine somebody going, no, 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 let's just keep pretending. <laughs> hey, let's keep talking about me. <laughs> I have a question. I ask somebody, if if we start kissing and I just don't like the way they kiss, I'll say, with a big smile and a real cheery energy, I'll say, can I show you how I like to kiss? <laughs> nice. And nice. I've ne- and I've never had anybody go, no, I don't want to know anything about how you like to kiss. You have to just take mine. <laughs> right. <Nobody's ever> said <laughs> this that. is the way I kiss, and this is the way we're kissing. If you want to hang out with me, we kiss my way. <laughs> take it or leave it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so great. I'll just, I'll That's just so share, great. I'll just share with, I'll share with everybody my little kissing game. If you don't like how somebody kisses, what I do is I ask them to play dead for a moment and don't kiss mm. me back and just feel how I'm kissing them. So I kiss their passive lips the way I like to be kissed. And then I play dead and I ask them to show me what they just felt and to do what wow. I just did on me. And then I say, great, that was awesome. Lots of reassurance. <laughs> and then now <laughs> let's both do that. And then we both do that awesome, that was so great, like lots of reassurance, oh, that really turned me on, that's so exciting, you know, just make them feel the reward of of doing that. And then, you know, if they feel any pushback, I can say, you know, you want to switch, do you want to show me how you like to kiss now and we can do it? You know, so Mm -hmm. it's just a fun little tool I felt like sharing since you shared that great question. 
You know, it's so wonderful. It's so beautiful what you just said. How many people, like, go out, have a kiss, and they're like, meh, bad kisser, done. You know, like, it's not going to work because the kissing was bad. But, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. how about communicating about it? How about playing a game, you know, playing dead? How beautiful. It's just so great to have some tools. And, you know, maybe that Mm -hmm. isn't going to be your next partner, but, like, Still, you can you can go somewhere with it instead of just you know rolling your eyes and deciding that that person's a bad kisser, you know. Or if if they're so sensitive that they can't even take feedback about kissing, then what's right. it going to be like when you get the genitals involved? <laughs> and right, you end right, up having exactly. To tolerate uh, tolerate touch or licking that you don't like because you know they're so sensitive mm-hmm. you can't even tell them, you know. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kissing is a great place. I, I, I mean, things are different now with COVID. But back when I was dating, I liked to kiss after at the end of almost every date. I just thought it was kind mm-hmm. of a nice way to end the date. I felt really open to it. I thought it would give me information about going forward or not. And, and it's like a good, like you're saying, it's a good uh, kind of a gateway or, you know, just kind of like a water tester. That's that's why I like to kiss at the end of the first date because I'd be like, you know, if I if the kiss was amazing, that would probably make me want to have a second date more. And if the kiss was kind of eh, you know, probably I was gonna let it go. But I like right. your way of like playing the game. <laughs> right. So if you're just joining <laughs> us, you're, you're if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host. Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Amy Palatnik, dating and sexuality coach, who's the author of the upcoming book, Can I Be Honest With You, about her um, 200 dates that she went on over like a five-year <laughs> period to really find her voice. And if you mm-hmm. want to ask Amy any questions, the lines are open now, and the call-in number is area code 657 3831132 and you won't interrupt us you'll be put on hold and we'll just take your call at the right time so again that number is 657-383-1132 so if you're kind of new to ethical non-monogamy or you're exploring whether you might want to pursue it um, there's just a couple things I want to say um, one is that polyamorous folks use dating apps a lot because our pool is a little smaller. So I know in the the default world, there's a little bit of a stigma, maybe less and less over time, especially with younger people, but there's a little bit of a stigma and embarrassment to using dating apps to meet people. But because we have a smaller pool to choose from and dating apps often give you the option to say that you're non-monogamous, it's an easier, more efficient way to try to find a partner. So it's pretty common in the ethical non-monogamy world to use dating apps. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was um, Amy talked about something called conversion earlier. And we often call that the, um, the word that we use is kind of like the opposite of jealousy. So instead of feeling contracted that your partner is having fun with someone else, you actually feel joy in your body about it. It's not like you're forcing yourself because it's very common for us to, we want to be super polyamorous and have no jealousy, and yet we still have fear and um, insecurities. You know, that's really normal. Um, but then every so often we surprise ourselves because we feel 
genuinely happy, like our whole body, mind, and spirit is all saying yes to our beloved having pleasure with someone else. And so, Amy, when you were talking about the non-monot guy (laughs) from Australia, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you got to experience compersion. Like, what was that like? Was it the first time you felt that? Tell me a little more about that. Right, yes. So that was the first time I think I felt it was when he went back to Australia and he started having sex with his lovers there. And I just, my experience with him was that he was such an amazing lover, you know, that it was a a healing, our our lovemaking was very healing. And so I thought, women need this, you know, I needed it and women need this. So I felt like him going out there and doing like, healing work he's bisexual actually um but doing you know being a a healing entity on the planet having different connections i felt like he should have as many as possible to help as many people as possible and so uh i felt joyful about his about his um his other connections mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. it's like you're giving a gift to your sisters like here sisters <laughs> Use this wonderful gift. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and I had another experience during my journeys. It wasn't me feeling compersion, but I wound up uh having a connection with a man who was in a relationship with another woman. This was at Summer Camp East. And afterwards, she got in touch with me, and she was, like, calling me her sister, and she was just so embracing of me, and how glad she was that somebody else got to experience her partner's healing medicine. And I was like, I want to be like her. You know, I want to be like that, to have that much mm-hmm. uh, presence in myself, and that that grounded and connected to myself that I it's almost like she was like overflowing with wanting to share him. It was so Beautiful. sweet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you know what I've found in my 20 plus years of practicing ethical non-monogamy is that the more we can set our partners free to explore their expression with other people, the more happy they are to be with us. And it's kind of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Like we want to cling and control them and, and we think that by controlling their behavior, it's going to make us feel safe, safe from those old wounds that we don't want to trigger, you know. But when we mm-hmm. can work on our own wounds ourselves, do that with our therapists and our coaches, and certainly not, I'm not saying to pretend to your partner that you're feeling happy and joyful when you're not. You can tell your partner, like, I'm struggling, and yet I still want you to go have fun, and I'm going to go over here and deal with it. The more you can do that, the more they will want to be with you because you're not restricting their expression. So it's it's hard. It's so hard to do, but it's it's just something I wanted to say because I've just seen it over and over again. Like I have a long-term partner who's like, "Why would I ever leave you? You let me be with anybody." Yeah, it's almost like we treat love as a commodity and as though there's mm-hmm. only a finite amount of it or if somebody else gets it, that means we get less. 
But I think more is more, you know? I mean, ultimately, I'm saying that as a theory, but I have to say in practice with my current partner, I think that I would probably be triggered if he had a new lover. But I I would hope I would get over it. It's not like I don't want that to happen. But I also can feel, you know, I don't want to be, I I don't want to be dishonest about it. But I do want the challenge. I want that challenge. I, I want to get to that place where I feel so uh, abundant like that and free. And, and you know, I, I don't ever want to limit anybody. So I don't want to be mm-hmm. the person who keeps my partner from having all the love possible. I just don't want to be that, mm-hmm. you know, because that my fears mm-hmm. control my partner. I don't want yeah, that at all. Just, right. I was just talking about this in a podcast that I was being interviewed on a couple of days ago where there's this dance that you do, like you want to be able to speak to your partner the truth of how you're feeling. Can I be honest with you? Can I, can mm-hmm. I tell you that part of me is really excited about your new sweetie and another part of me feels really scared and insecure? And so I'm not telling you, I'm not like doing veto power. I'm not, you know, asking you not to see them. I'm just letting you know that I feel scared and sad. And then you can start to ask for what you need. Like maybe you want reassurance or maybe you want be cuddled or maybe you just want something simple like you know call me or can I meet your partner or something like that like everybody wants different things but to tune in to what would make it more easeful for you and then ask for that yeah I find for myself that that yeah totally that the unknown is the scariest thing like like the unknown person. So if my partner had a new partner and I, and I was kept away from them. So that last thing that you said of, can I, can I, can I meet them? Like that would, Mm -hmm. that would be the thing that I would need to feel safe and secure is relationship with the metamor, Mm -hmm. you know, with the other partner. Yeah. That's what, that, that's what makes me feel relaxed is, is feeling a connection, you know, not feeling the separation, but feeling a connection. Yeah. I like that too. I like that too. Okay, so I promised our listeners that you were going to tell us what cuddlingus is. <laughs> so this is like the word, the word cuddle, the merging the word cuddle with lingus. So cuddlingus, right. that's a great word. Cuddlingus. Cuddlingus is like, it's basically like sacred cuddling. It's like cuddling mm. that takes you to another dimension. It's the, it's, perfect cuddling it's an empowered cuddling you know it's merging mm. through cuddling and and it's my practice with my partner we we practice cuddling and it was just a great <laughs> discovery when we first were cuddling that it was just like it would transport us there was something about our cuddling chemistry that was really intense and then we would find these power spots in in the house that's like this is the place to cuddle you know and we'd, it would almost be like a vortex you know that would amplify the cuddling feeling so we we named wow. it cuddlingus because it was just that good <laughs> i love that and it's also something that you can do with another partner and if you have a boundary like many people that i know and who might be listening to the show want to be more monogamish where they're primarily monogamous. They don't want to have full on Mm -hmm. love relationships with other people, but they might be open to different levels of intimacy outside their primary relationship. And so cuddling Mm -hmm. with someone else, if you can trust your partner to keep those boundaries and you can trust their cuddle partner to keep the boundaries, then within the boundaries of we're going to leave our clothes on, we're not going to make out, we're not, you're not going to like try to make each other come 
we're just going to cuddle. <laughs> and that can actually be a beautiful relationship in and of itself, don't you think? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like polysensuality, I guess. Huh? Like being mm-hmm. able to be physical and close and sensual with somebody else without necessarily crossing a sexual barrier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody's got their own limits. You know, it's like, oh, kissing is fine, but this isn't. Or sex is fine, but kissing isn't. You know, <laughs> I mean, people are all over right. the map with what, what they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Right. And there's a client I'm working with right now where one of them is fine with casual sex and the other wants hates casual sex and just wants to have one or two additional really deep, connected, loving relationships. So they're both non-monogamous, but in really opposite ways. One of them is more kind of polysexual and the other is more polyamorous. And so sometimes right. we think like, oh, I'm non-monogamous, but there's so many different ways of expressing that and there's, we're not always a match with our partners, but we've got to find a way to understand if you're going to stay together in a relationship to understand why that matters to the other person and why it's important to them and try to put yourself in their shoes and understand what that does for them because we can easily judge it. Like I, I ended a relationship after like, I think it was like three or four years and he was the type that, wanted lots of recreational sex, going to swinger parties and stuff, and I had one other love relationship. And at the end of the relationship, he said to me, at least I didn't love any of my other partners, as if he was somehow superior to me because he didn't didn't love the people that he had sex with. (laughs) And then I don't know about for you, but for for me, like when I started dating, I was like, I wanted to be one of those swingers. You know, I wanted to be somebody who just like walked in, had sex, had sex with another person. (laughs) You know, like I wanted to be that person, but right away I just couldn't. Like I'm definitely uh, demisexual, right? Like I need the emotional Mm -hmm. piece in order to Mm -hmm. feel safe being sexual with somebody. And so I, they're like a different breed of people, people to me, you know, it's it's amazing to me, people who can just like have sex just to have that animalistic raw sex and, or whatever kind of sex, but without, without the emotional piece, I just, it's, I, I, I wanted to do it, but I couldn't, I just didn't have it. Mm -hmm. And on your website, you talked about one of the reasons why you chose to do this, dating experience was to find deeper orgasms. So why did you choose the word deeper and did you find them? (laughs) You know, um, well, the only kind of orgasm I had ever had until quite recently was a clitoral orgasm. Um, and I'd, I never had multiple orgasms. So I, I knew Mm -hmm. just from the talk on the town, you know, that there was more than what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, at summer camp through the whole yoni massage and sexual healing and working with a sexual healer, I focused specifically on my orgasms and I focused on learning how to uh, receive touch after I'd have an, have an orgasm so I could potentially have a second one or I could extend my orgasm longer. So that happened. And, and then more recently I discovered with my partner ways to have a vaginal orgasm. And that is like a whole new world for me. I was, I was so excited right away. I made like a YouTube video about it. I wanted to tell the world, mm. I was like, okay, there's a way to do this. And for me, what it was, was he's, my partner has a large penis for, for my body. And so I needed him to go all the way in 
pressed up against my cervix and breathed with me and no moving. Mm. I needed him to just mm. be in there. And then I realized that my vaginal walls, you know, are, they need time to trust and to relax. They needed a moment. Mm-hmm. They needed no, no movement, no, no ramming in and out, none of that. You know, they, just like breathing mm-hmm. and presence and connection and, and pressure, like as deep as he could go, you know, in. And then I needed him to move like very slowly. Like what I wanted him to do was like use the head of his penis to basically massage the deepest part of my vaginal canal in the, um, mm. near the cervix. And I felt like as soon as that happened, it was like a like all of my vaginal wall <laughs> tissues all of a sudden just completely changed texture and got juicy and wet and open and like sparkly. And then all of a sudden it's like he could do anything he wanted. Like I was like, Wah! you know, like talk about like oh. what you were saying before with the orgasms. Like I get so I was getting so loud and like I was just like everything felt good and I was like oh my god sex feels good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I you know I've, I've always loved touching and oral sex and the engagement and everything but I had never experienced pleasure from a man being inside me you know I kind of experienced mm-hmm. the pleasure of kind of emotionally being the being connected that feeling mm-hmm. of like we are together, but I never had the physical sensation of pleasure inside my vagina until I kind of came up with this little three-step process of like go in, wait, and then massage the deepest part, and then we can do anything. So that was a huge discovery. Right. That was amazing. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I requires, I, you know, thank you. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that requires the, the partner to, um, you know, to, to, for you to feel safe enough to communicate that nuance to your partner and for your partner to not feel like, well, was I doing it wrong before? You know, like really right. being open to listening to this new discovery and having that um, emotional connection so that you can experiment in that way and so you find that magic movement. <laughs> yes, it was like a combination of his openness which he is wonderfully open and then also my willingness to ask for what I wanted you know that was the big Mm -hmm. hump for me is like wow could I ask for something different instead of just going along with you know it's like your way of kissing or your way of having sex or whatever you know just like the accommodator and the people pleaser in me has just been kind of Mm -hmm. going along for the ride for a while so it's really exciting. I felt like some of that vaginal orgasm was just from that empowerment of like, oh, my God, I asked for what I wanted, you know. And, and if he was totally. doing something too fast, I told him to stop. I mean, it was, it was a huge rush for me to ask for what I wanted. Right. And I think that's why we get so much healing out of experiences like summer camp because our whole upbringing in this kind of patriarchal society is based around male sexuality and you know, the, the, this, the whole term foreplay implies that everything else is leading up to this penis and vagina main event. <laughs> and so right, we get to right. talk about, like, yoni massages and, like, wow, communication and asking for what you want. And it's quite revolutionary in our default culture to be able to talk about these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. We need so much with sex education. We need so much with sexual healing. I really believe that if, you know, my, my big wish is that sexual healers were like equal to massage therapists that, you know, 
that mm-hmm. for every massage therapist, there was also a sexual healer and that everybody had their own and we, it was all covered by insurance. And you go to your sexual healer and you get in touch with your sexuality and you get touched the way that you want to be touched and you learn to ask for the touch you want and you learn about your body, you know. And, and the weirdest thing is that, if, you know, that that's considered prostitution, basically, because yeah. it involves our, se- yeah. our sexual or- organs. If you went to somebody, like you'd go to a massage therapist and paid them to help you with your sexuality and they actually touched you, that's illegal. <laughs> Except for right. maybe in California, you know, maybe I, I, I'm really interested in the sexological body work schools that are in California and, and would like to yeah, get well, the law, the, and do that work. The law with mm-hmm. that is that you can touch, practitioner can touch the genitals of their client, but only if they're wearing gloves and only mm-hmm. if their midriff is covered and only if there's no lock <laughs> on the door, not even, not even that there's, that it's not locked, that the door cannot even have a lock. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the, the, pay, the, pay, the client cannot touch the practitioner back. So it's yeah, that controlled. Okay. And, and that's the only place there it's legal. So, yeah, tell us more about your advocacy for the decriminalization of hands-on sexual healing. Well, it's just to me, I just feel like if everybody had that, Right. If we all had our own sexual healer and we all had our sexuality kind of uh, cared for and loved and healed, that it would just change the world. You know, I think we wouldn't have wars. Um, right. I think that there are so many states of consciousness that are available to us uh, with. I don't know if you've ever had a Taoist erotic massage. Have you had that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took a workshop once with um, I believe it was Evelina Rose. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, you know, it just, for me, I, when I had my Dallas erotic massage, I was like, <laughs> this is it. People don't need drugs. They don't need anything. They need this, you know, like, wow, our sexuality is like a gateway to heaven. And we don't know right. it, you know, because we don't have access to it. How many of us have like a partner who's going to give us a Dallas erotic massage? Like nobody, you know, mm-hmm. like almost mm-hmm. nobody. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just feel like it's the, de- you know, we can do therapy until we're blue in the face. We could do, you know, we can do all kinds of healing. But I think that, that our sexuality is our most primal, our deepest self. And that's the place that needs the most healing. It's our most wounded part. And it's totally unconsciously wounded. Most people don't know mm-hmm. that they are, you know, that they have sexual trauma. But we're a whole, mm-hmm. we're a traumatized society. We're a sexually traumatized society. And mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, that would be my, if I could make a contribution to humanity and, like, everybody would just do what I say, <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> I would say, from now on, you know, everybody gets a sexual healer and, you know, you take it at your own way and your, and your own pace. It's free. You know, the government pays for it, paid for by, you know, <laughs> Instead of the military, the money goes because we wouldn't we wouldn't have wars if everybody had sexual healing. They'd all be so happy. Right. Nobody would be upset. We'd all get along, you know. So I we'd be like you the know, bonobos. Finish, <laughs> yes, we'd be more like bonobos. Yeah, taking care of each other <laughs> and feeling taken care of. Yeah. So mm-hmm. after I finish my book, I'm not sure exactly what's next for me, but. Um, I I want to somehow get plugged in to doing advocacy for decriminalization of uh of of sex work basically 
you know, and, and mm-hmm. sexual healing would fall under that. But I think in general, you know, sex work needs to be dec- decriminalized. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think, um, mm-hmm. was it New York that just decriminalized? Um, I think it was New York. Um, they're not going to prosecute the sex workers, but they're still going to prosecute the clients. So that's what they call the mm. Swedish model where, they mm-hmm. still stigmatize being a buyer of sex, but not a seller. But that doesn't really help the sellers because if their clients are getting arrested, <laughs> they don't have any right. money to sell <laughs> to. It doesn't really make sense, does it? <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. That's kind of ridiculous. And it the kind Swedish, of makes the sex they... worker a victim. Like she's a victim. Well, Sweden is a little, you know, progressive, so they tried, but they right. didn't quite nail it because it's like treating the sex worker like a victim. She's this poor woman who has no other choice but to do sex work when that's true right. in a lot of cases. But there's also mm-hmm. a lot of people that have made an empowered choice to do sex work as, as a healing modality. So it, it just yes. makes an assumption mm-hmm. that everyone's a victim. Right. Yeah. Well, we're get, they're going to be even more victims if they don't have any money because their their clients all get you know. I mean, it's exactly. not the best solution. I don't think. Yeah, and, and then they and they, it doesn't they, do that. They're willing thing. to. It it pushes them deeper underground and makes them willing to do more risky behavior because there's less clients mm-hmm. available, so they have to kind of take what they can get. So yeah, it has the reverse effect. Yeah, we need a better system. Mm-hmm. So um, before we run out of time, I just wanted to ask you, you said you're a process work therapist. And so tell us a little bit about what that is. And then does that merge with the sexual healing that you do in some way? Hmm. So process work, it's a really big question. It was, it's a school founded by Dr. Arnold Mendel. And he Mm -hmm. was, he studied quantum physics at MIT and then went to Switzerland and studied uh, at the Jungian Institute and kind of combined quantum physics and psychology and the body. He was, he was, he was the first person to connect the body with our dreams. And so Mm -hmm. he, he noticed that, that the body is basically having in a dreaming process. So any body symptoms we have, we can look at them symbolically, basically, as a dream, and that our bodies are always bringing us information through symptoms, and that when we play with that information and deepen it and unfold it, we get we get a message from our bodies, and if we can get and integrate the messages that our bodies are trying to give us then we don't need our symptoms anymore because we got the message and we can mm-hmm. go on. So it's, it's a beautiful way of self-healing is to unfold your symptoms, but then it also is kind of asking the person to integrate the lesson that they get, you know, in a way that works for them. And so it's an evolutionary-based paradigm, basically. It's like that we mm. are all evolving and that our symptoms are there to show us the direction of our evolving. Usually we're against mm-hmm. our symptoms, so it's kind of hard for people to get behind, but when you get a taste of it, then you understand. And, you know, I really have this dream of doing something with process work and sexuality. I haven't completely figured out how to fuse them, 
and probably it's because, you know, working with sexuality is so edgy. But, you know, I, mm-hmm. as far as like the hands-on piece, but with my, mm-hmm. uh, my sexual healing clients, we definitely work on unfolding, you know, like I have some older women who have like uh, pain, let's say vaginal pain. Mm-hmm when they have Mm -hmm. sex. And so we can unfold Mm -hmm. that pain and find a power in that pain that they really need. So Mm -hmm. they do, they do weave in, you know, my, uh, all the different things I do, they just kind of wind up weaving together with my clients. That makes sense. Yeah. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I didn't know that about process work. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful um, paradigm. Awesome. Awesome. So we're out of time already. It was such a delight speaking with you, and I want to give you a few minutes to tell our listeners how they can reach you. And I believe your book is on pre-order now, so let us know um, what you're offering. Great. Yeah. I'm. So as of May 31st, all of the books will be available, and that means my paperback, my ebook, and my audio book, which I'm recording myself. Uh, or I'm the voice. I'm, I'm narrating the audiobook. And mm-hmm. uh, my website is just my name, amypalatnik.com, so it's easy to find. If they, if they can find my name, they can find my website pretty much. <laughs> and if they like ebooks, the ebook is on pre order now. They can pre order the ebook on Amazon. And they can, just e- they can even search for just dating memoir, and the book will pop up, or it's, I call it a romantic comedy dating memoir. And because uh, it's kind of fun and funny, I, I try to make it pretty funny and, and lighthearted. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what else can I say? Um, Are you doing yeah, any so dating, um, dating events, online dating events? Yeah, we had a really fun speed dating event not too long ago. And that was an everybody dating event, men, women, and anybody. And I think we're going to do a women-only dating event soon. So on my, if you go to my website, amypalatnik.com, you can get onto my email list there. You can get to the pre-order of the ebook there, or you can get onto my email list. And I will mm-hmm. announce all of our events through my email list. People are interested okay. in that. I'm going to also have a dating game, uh, a card game app that you have on your phone for when you're out on a date. And it's a, it's, a, it's a game that helps people get honest and real with each other on dates. So it's like a true or false uh, game where a card will come up and it might say, like, uh, I thought you were going to be really different. And then you can say, that's true or false, you know, or I feel really attracted to you, or I'm having an uncomfortable time. And so uh, mm. it's going to be a fun, a fun app. And so that will be available through my website at some point soon as well. That sounds great. Well, thank you again so much for being with us, Amy, and I wish you the best of luck on your book launch. Thank you so much, Sumati. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Okay, so next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, our guest will be Shara Ogan, who is an intuitive coach. And I'm really excited to talk to her about using our intuition and how we can strengthen our intuition, particularly about so many of us make poor choices in our relationship partners and our sexual partners. And um, I think strengthening our intuition and really learning how to tune in to what's right for us can be really helpful for those of us that are 
dating and being polyamorous. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. Have a good night.